0: ago, the podcast project of the Phenobalist, by Leopold Lambert. Today, normative processes and their transgression in queer cinema, with Frédéric Chen. everyone, today my guest is Frederick Cheng, who is a film director, um, who was the pr- co producer of the film uh, Valentino, The Last Emperor in 2008, and the co director of the film uh, Diana Vreeland, uh, The Eye Has to Travel in 2011, and uh, soon, uh, soon the unique director of a new film that. Uh, we won't be talking about uh <laughs> hello frédéric hi <laughs> um you're today we're gonna speak about uh, queer cinema and uh what what is queer cinema uh so but before before anything maybe i can ask you a, a little bit what you're what you're doing uh, those days and uh, i think you're working on uh, you're working on a few ideas for for a new film that actually has something to do with their, with this topic. So, please, uh, can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I've had a lot of uh, time on my hands since I, I finished my last documentary. So, I was I've been doing research about queer cinema, um, or especially new queer cinema. But we'll talk about that in, in a in a minute because I'm I'm trying to um, write something a fiction film a screenplay that would have to that has uh, to do with the history of uh, let's say the the gay rights movement or the history of uh, homosexuals in the last um, I don't know 2,000 years (laughs) 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 to be uh, not very ambitious (laughs) so yeah, I've been, I've been reading various uh, things and watching a lot of films um, about, you know, let's say, for example, the Stonewall riots, which is which a lot of people think are as, uh, as a defining moment in the gay rights movement in 69, when a, a, a bar in the village was uh, raided by the police in or New York. in New York and um but I've been reading a lot of a lot about Greek homosexuality about um just queer theory in general like foucault or foucault or things like that and um and also a lot of theory about gay marriage actually that was the first uh sort of uh, the point of departure for my project was the debate around gay marriage that happened uh I guess last year in France, especially when they were, the socialist government was trying to pass a law um, for gay marriage, and um, and French people suddenly went crazy, and like everyone was talking about it, and and um, it raised a lot of questions for you know for me, like what what does it mean? Do uh, what? Uh, how can you respond to people who ask you about? who are, you know, ask you about gay marriage and like within my own family, within my own friends, like a lot of people were opposed to it and so I had to sort of formulate my own arguments and that's what led me to sort of think, to look at the big picture of the gay movement, like what does it mean to be fighting for gay marriage now? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, And uh, what are the consequences? And so, so anyway that's what i've been trying i've been trying to wrap my head around the issue of the gay movement where is it going and who are we as you know homosexuals what is this group how is it defined and what what can we do within society mm-hmm.
0: that kind of thing yeah and for the record the, the law was indeed voted in france and uh this has been already as we speak has been already uh, uh i think three thousand 3,000 uh, gay wedding uh, um, in, uh, ceremonies in in the uh, city halls of France, and uh, and it's tr- it's true that this um, since we both French for the record, <laughs> and we I think we were both uh, having a pretty epidemic uh, reaction to what was going on in France last year uh, with all those demonstrations of uh, of most mostly uh, mostly organized by. Uh, Relatively traditional and 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 extreme uh, Catholic uh, population, and uh, it's it's true that it's it's been frustrating because when when there was maybe an interesting debate about whether or not uh, gay marriage was, uh, and obviously the the processes of normality that we're going to talk about to, today in this conversation, uh, there's, there's an interesting question that was asked uh, ar- around this, is, uh, but. Uh, at the end of the day we were back to we were back to defend uh to to defend against the most uh the most abject uh, well okay let's not say abject <laughs> because we will to talk about abject uh, later, but the most uh, outrageous uh uh homophobia that was going on so there was no no place for an interesting debate to to happen instead of that it was just uh pure. Pure uh, uh, resistance against uh, against homophobia, which is uh, a shame. There was not something a little bit more complex going on. Anyway, um, so maybe just to begin uh, to begin slowly in this conversation, and we're gonna intensify it uh, little by little. Uh, could we, could you maybe uh, introduce us a little bit to to queer cinema, maybe without necessarily yet telling us what what exactly it is, but by maybe uh, talking about the the new the new queer cinema in the early 90s or in maybe talking about a few films that were that became a references uh in this um in this uh matter please
1: um yeah so uh, as you said so you called your podcast queer cinema which um I'm not sure what it is exactly we could, I mean I guess we could talk about it but there is something called new queer cinema which is a movement that was um sort of defined by a film critic named uh, Ruby Rich she was writing for the Village Voice at the time and she she just noticed that in the early 90s in 91 and 92 there were a lot of um films on the festival circuit at Sundance and Toronto and everywhere that that were made by uh gay filmmakers uh male and female and um and that dealt with uh gay issues so she wrote an article that became famous where she coined the term new queer cinema and um she it's not a movement in the sense that you know like uh, there was no manifesto. there were no rules. Uh, the filmmakers did not claim to be part of that movement. It was just uh, It was just an observation that there was a m- moment in independent film where gay filmmakers were allowed to make f- you know films about gay subjects and she felt like the the way they were dealing with the subjects had s- uh, similarities. Um, in the sense that it was, it was, um, usually these films were, um, let's say, a little transgressive in the way they approached uh, their subjects. And they were, they positioned themselves sort of against heterosexual normativity. But also against homosexual normativity. So it was a, it was a very interesting moment because it it came, um, you know, right after the the AIDS crisis was was at the the worst, basically, you know, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, before the cocktail of drugs was was found, which was in 96. So in 91, 92, you had a lot of um, uh, people were. People were really scared. People were dying, basically. And, um, and a lot of the mainstream media was portraying homosexuals in a way that was um, very um, uh, negative, I guess. Mm. And so <clears throat> there, was a, there was a sense in the, within the gay movement that you know, the, the movement had to be desexualized, and um cleaned up a little bit in order to access you know respectability and um and in order you know people would say like oh well if you want to be heard by the government or by the medical institutions and to be saved basically you have to clean up your act and everything And, and the gay the the new queer cinema was going sort of against that a little bit and uh portraying characters that were outlaws or criminals. It was not it was going against like this positive image of 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 gay characters that was that I guess the filmmakers felt was a was a you know, a bad or a slippery slope to go to go down with the gay movement. So so the films we're talking about are like um, poison for example which is todd hayne's film from 91 i think and um which dealt directly with the aids crisis actually because it's uh, i mean not directly indirectly through a metaphor but there's a, a character there's a there, there are three stories and one of the characters is a scientist who um injects himself this virus of um, Sexual depravity, or something like that, and and, um, and becomes sick, and um, and becomes like a sexual maniac, or something like that, and um, <clears throat> and so it dealt very much with the sort of like, what was happening in the in the gay world at the time, and then you have f- films like um, Todd Hay- Todd, uh, Tom Killen, sorry, uh, Tom Killian's Poison, um, <laughs> Tom Killian's <laughs> Swoon. Mm-hmm. Which is a um, very beautiful film um made on a very low budget but very ambitious that dealt with um with um a real life case of two homosexuals in the in the first part of the twentieth century that 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 went on to um to become criminals and to kill like a twelve year old boy or something like that and um then you have also films like um, Greg Araki's uh, The Living End, which also talked about being HIV positive and being sort of on the run. Um,
0: Looking for Langston.
1: You have Looking for Langston, the Isaac Julian uh, film, which is uh, um, which is like 50, 50 minute long. I think it's not even a feature. And um, which was a queer interpretation of Langston Yu's uh, life Um, it's not quite a narrative film it's more like a visual poetry um, very poetic film so these are the kind of films that were coming out on the scene in 91-92 and um, they had you know marginal characters um, a very... Transgressive way of telling the story usually um,
0: and I think we'll get back to maybe the the way the narrative is structured in a, in, a, in, in opposition to the to the normative uh, heterosexual uh, mm-hmm. way of filming a, filming a film a little bit later but uh, I think we already we already touched uh, some things that is at the core of this conversation which which has to do with uh, with the um, what I call the normative processes and um uh, maybe to go back to what you were saying there we could we, we could maybe also refer to the the recent documentary how to survive a plague in in uh, in those modification of uh, uh i mean uh, internal questioning of of what the what the gay uh, uh movement uh had to do when facing uh, uh what's Quite literally, an epidemics of 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 AIDS uh, in the late eighties, yeah, and, uh, or a yeah. plague as they the call it. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is uh, which is uh, an interesting uh, historical testimony. I, yeah, I but to. I don't feel like I don't feel like How
1: to Survive a Plague really addresses that question. The, the
0: mutation though. you mean? Other, it does not address the mutation of the movement.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really address. Um, it's more structured like a thriller. It doesn't mm. really address the how the movement has been transformed, yeah. because of the fight, or you know, I feel like other films, like maybe like um, um, like Poison. I mean, speak more metaphorically about you know, yeah, the the queerness of you know of the AIDS crisis mm. you know, and what what it meant for gay people how how they had to adjust and how mm. they, they were transformed
0: but pr- precisely you were you were describing poison as a film that was very uh very self-aware of what he was doing in relation to uh what the, what the lgbt movement was starting to experience uh, uh historically which is still very much uh, operative right now which which precisely uh, involves those uh, normative processes uh, which which comes to to an interesting point in wondering what is what is queer cinema because uh, a kind of very very shallow looking at it would would simply put any any filmmaker of the uh, who can identify within the lgbt uh, uh, statuses or or any any plot any scenario that would involve at some point some uh, some narrative elements of uh of an lgbt uh, 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 relation or practice or 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 uh, or um, uh, within within the plot we we could think of it as being queer cinema but obviously this is not what it is about uh because uh there is we i mean we can almost categorize i mean obviously categorizing uh, gives a definitive status to things which is probably not what we should do but we we can distinguish at least two two kinds of films uh in in for that matter because one that one that Seems to integrate uh, uh, homosexuality, for example, uh, in their um, within a normative uh, uh, line of sto- narrative line. And uh, we were talking earlier when we were preparing this um, when we were preparing this uh, this podcast. We were talking about uh, the the film Blue is a warmest color, as as precisely not being at all part of queer cinema because this is. Uh, the, the subject is um, is something else than, uh, than this relationship between uh, between two uh, two young women. Uh, but on the other hand of the spectrum, um, I mean, and and that is not to say that some films are political and some films are not political. Because obviously, integrating integrating homosexuality within normative process is highly highly political, and and that the problem the problematic aspect of it is very interesting in the fact that. Um, it registers. Uh, it registers homosexual in uh, a society that clearly accepts accepts this more, much more uh, uh, eagerly. Precisely because it's been no- normalized. But on the o- on the other hand, it, it is highly problematic because of uh, of what the norm does to the bodies, which is uh, which is a. Uh, Quite a quite a problem always. So like, so the queer cinema might b- very well be at the at the other end of the spectrum, which is uh, claiming for this uh, transgression of the, of the norm. And uh, and I think that's this this questions between between those two types of uh, of films are is precisely what we should uh, we should address uh, and the problems that it creates. Don't you think? I'm sorry, I was a bit long as usual. <laughs> No,
1: but I mean, I um, I agree with you. I mean, when you think about, for example, uh, the film Philadelphia or Brokeback Mountain or
0: Happy Together,
1: Happy Together, or even Basic Instinct, you know, the film with Sharon Stone, um, there was actually a, a big controversy at the time. And the LGBT uh, community was very upset at basic instinct and they tried to, I think they did some protest in front of the theaters, um, because they felt like, uh, the film was portraying killer lesbians and it was just, um, um, portraying, I guess, associating homosexuality with, um, pathology mm. and, um, <clears throat> a lot of people were upset, so like what is a, yeah what is a queer film, and does, does, the fact that it has a queer subject, is that enough to qualify as a queer film, or uh, the fact that it 's a queer filmmaker does it, Is that enough to qualify as a queer film mm-hmm. um, The thing is, there is no real category, as you said, you know, I mean it 's just um, you know critics talking about what a queer film is, but there 's no real definition but what i think is interesting as you said is like the how a film um can can be transgressive not only in its subject or in its in represent, representing homosexual characters but also how the form can fold the content a little bit and how the the form itself can be transgressive and i feel like that's what the new queer cinema at at its best when it was um, it was born in, in the early 90s that's what it was doing it was um, a real subversive movement in terms of in terms of form and it opened up new ways of telling stories and new ways of representing um, homosexual stories that's that's what I feel like is is interesting and in that you, you can feel you can you can see that uh, after queer um, cinema, but you know, recently you have films like I don't know, *A Pong, *Veraceta Cools*, mm. *Tropical Malady*, mm. or you know, these films that that come way later um, after the movement, but that still have a way of of uh, portraying gay characters, but also having a queer form in a way.
0: Mm. And Víracetáku in tropical melody literally splits the film into two in a in a pretty transgressive way as well in the in the traditional structure of the film, right? Yes, yes.
1: But then, if you think this way, like, is David Lynch queer? You mm-hmm. know, he doesn't really have queer characters, although there's there are some lesbian characters, I guess, in yeah. in Mulholland, uh, Drive. Mulholland Drive. But you know, his form is very queer, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I think. Veracete Cool was probably taking his cues a little bit from David Lynch at the time, you know, when he was splitting the film in two. So, yeah, that's how, it depends how you define queer. And and I think that's what, queer theory was very uh, inclusive, I guess. I don't know, I'm not an expert on queer theory, but it seems like it was a movement that was... uh, well there was a theory that was based on um not that was very fluid where the sexual orientation and sexual identities were very fluid and very inclusive. Um and I think it's Judith Butler who defined queer as something that had to do with uh with the abject, right? The dirty, the object the irredeemable, and she said uh, queer is something that is culturally inintelligible, so that's I think that's what uh, that's what interests me at least um, i'm not sure if that's um, what's necessarily the most interesting in in film but it it's what interests me is this uh idea of challenging um, the heterosexual structure, mm-hmm. rearranging it, opening it up, and finding new ways—finding um, new ways of just articulating sexual, gender, sexual identity—and um, through the, through the film form, that can be liberating as well. I, f- mm-hmm. I feel that's—I mean—that's what attracts me to to this queerness is the the fact that it's liberating um so yeah I don't, i'm not sure where i'm going with this <laughs> but, but <laughs> it's, it's
0: interesting and uh, i'm glad you i'm glad you mentioned uh, butler's uh, uh use of the of the term of abject. and uh, i think she if i remember correctly she does it in the in the book uh, bodies that matter um and uh, this uh this notion of object is interesting, just like the notion of queer is interesting because it's it's a uh, it's, it's word words that are used uh, relatively derogatively that that's been reappropriated by uh yeah it was an insult to begin yeah with. so so it's interesting to 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 turn an insult into a political manifesto because when you come to think about it that even though they're not insults but the way uh, the way the norm uh, would consider. Uh, at least in western in western nations as the norm uh, consider uh uh the female body or the dark body or other homosexual body is um uh putting labels on them uh not technically speaking not insulted insult, <laughs> insulting labels but basically in the way the norm operates it's the same thing than putting a label of queer on 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 someone and um
1: yeah, I mean, the fact that it's an insult to me is that's the essence of the definition. I mm-hmm. mean, it's what does it mean that it's an insult and it's an insult coming from whom? You know, it's like in it, it's an insult coming from the power in place or the norm mm-hmm. and appropriating that insult and, and using it for yourself means basically um, taking pride in the fact that the power in place hates you. Mm-hmm um and finding your sort of reason of of being within that within that you know that opposition mm-hmm.
0: and that's probably why something like feminism there's, there's been questions uh, recently about whether or not uh the the word feminism as a political manifesto should 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 uh, should stay uh especially because uh, uh one might argue that being a feminist is already recognizing uh, gender as an, orga- an, organize- an organizing uh, uh, thing in the norm, but I think that would be a wrong way of reading it because being a feminist is, is actually, uh, just like you said, it's, it's uh, receiving, receiving the labels that's been put on, on, uh, on female bodies as being, uh, being uh, women. And therefore, re reappropriating it into a political manifesto that empowers this uh, this uh, group that's been uh, um, uh, categorized in the norm as uh, as uh, less powerful than other bodies. Uh, male, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and therefore, that's where that, that's why the word of uh, feminism should probably remains as a, just like the word mm-hmm. queer should remain as a political manifesto, I believe.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends what you put behind feminism or mm-hmm. how you approach feminism. Right. I mean, it's like what um, if you're f- a feminist, are you fighting for women to become m- men, basically? Like to become powerful mm-hmm. bodies, or are you fighting for a difference? You know what I mean.
0: Yeah, well, th- that's precisely going back to those uh, uh, whether you're you're trying to reach uh, normality or are you trying to reach something else. When you evoked uh, Butler and um, in this notion and object, we were both looking at this article uh, that we should quote and that I'll put in the note um that is written by Andy Hartman um uh, precisely about Do- Do- Todd Haynes poison uh in a in an article called structural Sexru- sexual Transgra- transgression uh in which he he said uh, what you were what you were saying as well that heterosexuality is uh well it's not him who says that I'm sorry it's it's Todd Haynes himself that he's quoting but heterosexuality is a structure as much as it is a content therefore there might be a there might be a new form of structure that can be created by queer cinema itself. And, and he's, uh, he's also claiming for the, for the objection uh, that, um, as we know, in anthropology, uh, someone like Mary Douglas, the British anthropologist, uh, defined as a matter that is out of, spe- out of place. And, and uh, it, it kind of operates against the notion of clean and proper, as, as uh, Hartman says and um so the object the object just like queer is is definitely this matter out of place this matter you cannot reuse this matter that that doesn't find its its place within the the normative system is precisely what what queer cinema should aim for isn't it um
1: yes i i mean i think so i think i think i think poison was a very brave film in a way because it's like it's it's very um, um well there's the it does it it sort of avoids all the easy uh, narrative tools that sort of engage an audience um that would um you know telling a story from a to Z with um, you know a main character here. You have three stories that are um, mixed together. You go for you go from one story to another. Sometimes with transitions, sometimes with very abrupt transitions. So nothing is done for the for the uh, for the viewer to have an easy experience. Instead, it's it's uh, disjointed and um, disruptive. And um, and that's I mean I think that's what Todd Haynes. Um, means when he says that he's looking for a structure outside of the heterosexual structure so he's looking for a a film structure that that disrupts the the classical structure of film and so he uses three different storylines three different uh, modes of expression so it's very um, heterogeneous in in its approach so you have one that's a sort of a B movie shot in black and white. You'll have one that's a, a prison drama, very much inspired by Jean Genet, which is, you know, also someone we should talk about more, yeah. I guess. And um, and he um, and the third story is kind of a mock documentary. So three different genres. That's it's and that's very queer, also to mix genres, just like you mix genders. It's like mm. you know. In French, actually, it's the same word: genre and, mm. and gender, and um, and it's kind of like mixing types, you know, and just uh, having a very fluid um, um, discourse between all between all the all the types, and um, and also within those stories. That's what uh, the author, you know, Andy Hartman, explains in his in his um, in his um, article. He he doesn't allow the, uh, each character to be redeemed or to have like a, a nicely wrapped um, storyline. You know, one character uh, escapes at the end. Um, one character kills himself, I think, or I can't remember, but they they don't have the classical sort of narrative moment where... Um, were they are redeemed or were some uh they realized something about what you know they learn a lesson or you know that these are the tricks you, you you you're you're expecting usually when you watch a film you you expect the character to have a change and you know and he was um and Todd Hayes was, was very aware of not giving the viewer that opportunity you know just not really redeeming these characters um but instead giving them <clears throat> um, a much more sort of metaphysical experience. Like when the um, one scene that's the, really the, the essence of Poison is the, the end scene of, um, of the prison storyline where the character has a fantasy. I think as, as he's about to die, he has a fantasy of being spit on by a group of guys, and he's um, instead of being horrified and everything, and he, it's a, it's kind of a um, um, epiphany in a way. He's he's uh, receiving all this spit, and it's an orgasmic experience. It's um, and that's exactly that's directly linked to the definition of queerness, you know, in an terms
0: abjection. Obje- of- Something well. abject, something yeah.
1: yeah something dirty, something unredeemable, and so so you know poison sort of uh, uh is uh, makes that sort of the the big moment at the end of that storyline, which is uh, i mean which is for the viewer, you know it's it's really taking him somewhere that he. That is not uh, uh, appropriate, or that is not um, exactly what he expects at all. But sort of twisting completely the story and the and the emotions to combine these things that that have nothing to do with each other.
0: And uh, the, if I go back to the to the notion of abject and what it, uh, I feel there is a deep connection to it um, of. Uh, this is not something very the object is something very strong to say uh, to do with the the body the question of body and and the way the way um the way something like homophobia materi- uh, manifests itself I uh, still so know what it it's all it's also it has to do enormously with questions of body is like to to put it to put things very simply maybe ho- hopefully not in the simplest way but in the simple way usually when you when you hear uh hom- homophobic discourses you you it has it has a kind of uh obsession towards uh the sexual act itself it uh, it's it, it's not it's not pretty really, it's not really two men or two women living together that seems to be the problems for homophobes it it, it, it they they go right away into the sexual realms which is which is interesting uh and um and for one of the one of the problems that at least uh, Western nations uh, experience right now is uh, also the fact that uh, although although uh, homosexuals seems to be involved within uh, a certain process of uh, of normativity uh, such as the, the marriage, for example, there seems to be um, uh, another problem for uh, t- transgenders for example and and the fact of of uh we go back to this problem of bodies there seems to be an, an absolute horror <laughs> from a certain amount of people and from from the norm itself to to the idea that there can be a change of a change of sex like something extremely corporal uh that happens so uh, I don't know would you would you would you mind reflecting a bit on this idea of the body itself like the, the strictly or uh, flesh yeah. aspect of it
1: yeah and actually that uh, uh, that reminds me also that one of the things I would hear when talking about gay marriage in France um, was that you know okay gay marriage maybe maybe that was okay you know that's uh, people people I would talk to would say that but Gay marriage might be okay, but um, medical medically assisted procreation—that's not okay. For mm. example, you know, France is very um, has the, is very particular in um, its relationship to bodies because in France you cannot trade uh, your body. There's a law that says you cannot earn money from your body, or you cannot trade parts of your body. That. That's what makes um, that what makes it very different from the U.S., where you can have a surrogate mother in the U.S., you can have someone carrying your baby. In France, you can't um, because of that law. So, yeah. So some of the people that I would talk to had a very um,
0: um,
1: epidermic epidermic re- reaction to the fact of playing with your body and. It, and I think it always comes back to the idea of natural. Um, hmm. You know what's natural, what's not, and um, which is to me, to me, a false question because yes, yeah, yeah. what whatever exists is natural, whatever is possible is yeah. natural. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in nature. But but anyway, um, uh, you know that I really I didn't really discuss trans issues with during the gay marriage because it wasn't really part of the law I mean people were not really talking about that at the time but, um, but I imagine that it's the same sort of um, outrage reaction that people would have you know just like uh, there's something very taboo very like crossing the line when you in, in many people's mind about um, changing your body and a few years ago, actually, I was—I was—that um, might be interesting to you. I was—I was also doing research on uh, um, issues of uh, intersex people, um, and I wasn't really aware of, of, of the issues, the medical problems that, that a lot of people were facing. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's very interesting, especially in the relationship between the body and. the and the norm. Intersex people are basically people who are born with indetermined, determined um I don't know if that's how you say it. Well people who are born with genitals that are neither male neither clearly male or female. It's something a little bit in between. And it's may I think it's um approximately one baby out of two thousand or something like that. In the world, and um, it's a it's bit, a lot. It's a lot, really? but the reason you don't really know about it is because for years, for decades, um, people—I mean, um, people—have been reassigning gender at birth. So, mm. so doctors would would tell the parents like, "It's something we can easily
0: fix." Yeah. Well you know uh, uh, doctors have a lot to do with gender, right It's like it's a little girl it's a little boy that's the first thing you hear when you when yeah. you emerge in the world right It's like you you're discursively attributed a gender yeah. by but also uh, that's
1: the first p- question that people ask when yeah. when you have what a baby it? like what yeah. is it? Is it a boy or a girl? Mm. and so you have to check a box and when when it's unclear what the what box to check because you know the genitals are could be either like a a large clitoris or a small penis mm-hmm. and sometimes you have um, uh, there are tes- testes or you know there are inside or outside it's unclear sometimes the chromosomes are also different from the genitals you know it's XX uh, XY I mean there are all sorts of configurations and um,
0: and I'm sorry just to interrupt you here it's interesting to go back to this idea of nature here and how yeah, exactly. How, nature is like including.
1: I mean, created these people, yeah. so it's not like it's, you know, and it's and, and, counter nature or yeah. you know, against nature. But there is
0: in in the logics of nature, natural behavior, natural essences of bodies. There seems to be a, another category for anomalies. Like, yeah, it's interesting how how the, this idea that there is the nature, there is a natural body or something. Even integrated within itself uh, uh, a little yeah. category where you can put everything else that kind of uh, 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 completely deny all this theory altogether so. mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. but now it 's pretty clear because the intersex uh, people have been very active in you know in the past uh, i don 't know fifteen twenty years, and like coming out and saying my my life was destroyed by doctors because you know. Um, I was reassigned at birth and now I have um, sort of... Um, I've lost my genitals, basically. You know, I have like... Uh, it's First, it's painful. It's like subjecting a lot of children to surgery. And usually it's like a very heavy surgery every year just to... And then hormone treatments. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, they end up being a boy but really feeling like a girl. So then they have to go... Uh, You know, reassign their gender later in life. So anyway, now it's becoming pretty clear that doctors are 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 wrong, and they're 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 stopping they're stopping um, they're not doing that anymore. Um, And what's interesting also is that it's if you go back uh, like a hundred years or before that, uh, I think intersex people had a place in society, and it was much more accepted. It's only recently that um um doctors have decided that it was not okay and that they wanted to reassign people so mm-hmm. because you know you could say like oh uh, we're going in a way of progress but uh, you know but it, maybe as, as Foucault would remind you like it's not the sexual rep- um let's say the it's not like it's society is becoming more liberated or not necessarily you know in the last um, 150 years the there's been a lot of discourse about sex but it's not necessarily in a in um progressive manner you know but anyway we're going far off from our subject i guess well, <laughs> well,
0: no, no no but i mean and foucault was also showing how uh in the history of sexuality how uh, sexuality is, is not at all, uh, a, a sort of, uh, um, I mean, the way, the way sexuality is being, is being, uh, uh sought by the norm is, is not at all in terms of, uh, of, uh, preventing anything quite on the contrary. the so the norm is incredibly productive of, of sexuality. I mean, for, for demo, demographic purpose to start with. And, and, uh, the, the whole, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, anyway, I, I think we, we still have just a tiny bit of time, and there's one film that I really would like to speak about uh, because I, I would feel it be it it be weird <laughs> uh, not I, to speak about it in, I know, uh, in a I subject like Christina. <laughs> yeah, uh, Paris is burning. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> was the one you were thinking about, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, but and since I talk so much, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna let you introduce uh, what Paris Burning is. Uh, Paris is Burning is doing. Because it seems to precisely do what we were talking about in, <laughs> queer, in queer cinema, but through yeah. the means of a documentary. So that's that's and ask the question of normal no normal normativity, and uh, all those questions we were wondering about today.
1: So, Paris is Burning is a documentary by Gene um, uh, Livingston, yeah. and um, it's a documentary about a subculture in New York um, of queer, uh, dance, dance parties, balls, basically that are, that are, um, primarily, um, Puerto Rican and black, um, and, um, that are basically contests where people go on stage and, and, um, they're like drag balls. I mean, people dress up and there's a jury who, who, um, who stands in front of them and te- gives them a category, let's say, uh, um, uh
0: high fashion, high fashion evening or yeah
1: or um office uh realness um there's always this concept of realness uh mm. very often which mean like you're supposed to pass for something else so so these drag queens would co- go up and do a little routine um <clears throat> strike poses which you know uh is called voguing and then was used by madonna later on in, in her song Vogue and she appropriated the whole culture. But um, um, but the documentary was very effective in showing this subculture and how these people lived and the kind of... Um, um, it's almost like they would produce this simula- sim- uh, simulacrum of um, society, of, of white society or um, the society around them, of the norm, basically, they would produce this very theatrical um simulacrum of 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 um the norm through their queer bodies and um it reminds me of a film by jean roche actually um from nineteen fifty five um that is not a queer film at all it's called les Maître fou the the mad masters and it's a short film that's quite extraordinary because it it shows um a I guess it's an ethnographic film, and it shows the people in Niger, the Haqam movement, apparently it's called and it's it's there it films and it it shows a ritualistic um moment in their lives where they impersonate the British colonial um um administrators and through trance and you know drumming and music and dance they sort of recreate the different relationships between the colonial uh the the colons and and the the colonized people which who they are and so it's um it's uh it's quite extraordinary because you see them it's very intense uh there's an element of possession you know they're possessed they're uh, it's quite su- supernatural, um, but anyway, it's a, it's a way of sort of theatr uh,
0: dramatizing
1: dramatizing and, and appropriating the norm, which Paris is burning is doing a little bit the same thing in a much more uh, playful way, and not you know um, there's no possession or anything, but but. Um, but I think it's the same idea of sort of uh, positioning oneself against the norm, and um, and I think that's a that's a that's sort of a movement that is present through a lot of queer films that we're talking about, through uh, just the figure of the drag queen, who is all. I mean, that's exactly what the drag queen is doing. She's she's uh, impersonating a woman you know and she's
0: doing it she's impersonating what the norm defines as a woman
1: yeah but not only what the norm defines as a woman but also she dramatizes it so it's mm-hmm. you know drag queens don't really their goal is not to pass for a woman it's to be fabulous mm-hmm. to be like theatrical and you know um so there's an element of caricature mm-hmm. you know that's very interesting, and uh, and you see that figure of the drag queen throughout a lot of queer films of that period, especially um, films that dealt. I mean, there were a lot of very creative films like uh, uh, Stonewall, which is a, a film from ninety six, I think, um, um, which recreates the the riots and uh, you know the the chorus of um, the chorus that sort of co- there's like a greek chorus commenting on the on the story is uh made up of three drag queens which just sing songs from the 60s and everything it's so there's an element of comedy you know that's that's really interesting um but anyway to come back to paris is burning the film i see why you love the film but to me it's 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 not necessarily one of the queerest films in the movement because in terms of documentary, it's a pretty typical documentary, you know, mm. it's not, it doesn't really do anything beyond the, do- the boundaries of documentary. It doesn't really fictionalize, uh, anything or, or use, uh, poetic, uh, devices or anything. It's, but of course, in terms of content, it's very, it's very queer and it's very, it's very powerful. But, um, but I can think of other films that I wanted to mention also very quickly. Um, You know, like, I've talked about Stonewall, which sort of uh, defies genre a little bit because it's a drama, but it also is a comedy. There's also a a, a movie uh, called Patient Zero, which uh, is by John Grayson, who um, who is also very interesting because it's a musical about AIDS. Patient Zero, uh, well, actually, the film is called Zero Patience, sorry, but it's about... Patient Zero, which was assumed to be the first uh, homosexual to have brought the AIDS virus within the United States. And it was uh, it was later discovered there was a whole myth and that there had been eight patients. Uh, I mean, eight uh, people uh, with AIDS for a long time in the US before patient zero uh, initially arrived. But anyway, that was one of the myth that was created by the mainstream to sort of stigmatize the mm. gay people. But um, so it's a very dramatic dark subject but uh, John Grayson decided to do it as a musical very campy um, very funny with again like people doing uh, people doing song and dance through the thing he did another film called um, um, Lilies which is very interesting because it mixes prison drama with uh, theater and uh, you have different levels of reality that um, he takes you through you know sort of seamlessly through different levels of reality and uh, it's an all male cast kind of Shakespearean sort of you know male impersonating woman um, so there were a lot of um, a lot of films that were sort of challenging the the boundaries between between different um, different genres yes. and uh, what else I think that's those are the films that are, I wanted to mention also. But I don't know if you had something to say about um, Paris is Burning, maybe.
0: Well, Since I, maybe, I, maybe I as a... I, I mean, I, it's relatively coincidental in the film itself, but uh, the, the, the way the film has been made um, uh, and, uh, and the film having a relatively traditional chronological approach uh, to the things we got to learn that one of their, um, at the at the end of the movie we got to learn that one of the main uh, uh subject of this film uh, v- Venus Extravaganza uh who has been impersonating during the balls uh uh this uh this uh, fabulous woman as you said um we we learn at the end of the film that while the film was being shot she was killed uh, in her in a absolute salvage uh, uh, manner and this is this is um this is something that the film all, almost shows without without wanting it but it's it's the fact that um you might create simulacrums of the norm but the norm has uh, a violence contained in itself that's ready to um to unfold itself on the bodies that are try to that try to hack the norm somehow and i think that's that's what paris is burning is showing as well the, and there the this violence is um this violence is very much what's problematic about about the norm
1: mm-hmm. yeah and also something that you mentioned on your on your blog um when you wrote about Paris is Burning, is that a lot of the, a lot of the drag queens, a lot of the characters in the film, aspired to a very normal life, mm-hmm. aspired to the norm. They wanted to have the little house with the husband and mm-hmm. the, the picket fence and everything.
0: It's interesting how how this the way they're being interviewed and they say what what they want could be if you were not, uh, seeing the image almost could seem as a very, very, uh, common and, and apolitical, uh, uh will from a person, uh, uh, to, to, to will for his or her life. Um, but because it comes from, uh, it comes from a person who had to, uh, to go, to go through a transformation of gender and, uh, to, to actually because it comes from this person this body then it becomes incredibly subversive and therefore incredibly political and that's why norm contains a violence towards this body mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah and that's why i think uh que- queer cinema or films that are queer and essentially queer sort of help in my in my sense, they're interesting because they position themselves. They don't aspire to the norm. They create something else, um, something else that, in return, will um, I think help people. I mean, it's going to sound a little um, a little cheesy, but help people sort of accept the fact that they're different, you know, and I, I think when you're growing up as a gay person, or at least when I was growing up and I was reading or watching all these films that showed um, um, that showed different ways of being in a relationship or different ways of existing in the world that were outside of the norm, like Fassbinder films or, you know, films by Teshine or something like that, that were kind of early um, gay films. Um, that is what makes a difference, you know, and, and that's why it helped me construct an identity that was not, I was not aspiring to the norm, I was as, aspiring to that other norm, which, uh, that anti norm, which is queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, that's what I find sort of liberating and inspiring in queer
0: cinema. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to to end this conversation. Uh, Frédéric, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. It was nice. nice. (laughs)